Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, we trust you today to come and minister to us. We trust you to come and meet with us. Lord, our eyes are upon you this morning. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak with us in a fresh way. We love you and we wait for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our title this morning is God Still Proves His Love for You. I'm going to say that again. Our title this morning is God Still Proves His Love for You. And we're going to see this morning that he proves it through his provision for us. He proves it through his prayers. Do you know that he prays for you? Prays for you every moment. He prays for you. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit prays as well. And as well as that, he, he, he proves his love through his presence, through his provision, his prayers and his presence. That's basically the overview, the big umbrella over this morning's talk. And uh, previously, we're just going to have a quick glance back because from we started studying the Gospel of John, we saw at the very beginning uh, that John writes, he's the only Gospel writer who writes specifically about the signs or stroke miracles that Jesus did. And uh, he, he, there's a number of them that John specifically refers to as signs. And Jesus did these signs or miracles to prove his love but also to prove his identity as the Son of God. And he, he did it to prove it to the people of his love and, and his identity as the Saviour, as the Messiah. Now, over the last few weeks, right from September, we have looked at some of these signs already, so we're not going to go back over those, but just to remind you that he turned the water into wine in chapter 2. That was named as a sign. The nobleman's son... Uh, who was healed remember that story that was another sign and then last week we looked at this this man who was 38 years old who was healed at the pool of Bethesda and that was another sign and that's in chapter 5 and now we're heading into chapter 6 and we're going to actually look at two more signs that Jesus gave us and uh, I, um, I just have written in your notes all of this time uh, during the, the miracles and the signs the religious people of the day were trying to find fault with Jesus at every turn and they were constantly complaining uh, about him particularly uh, accusing him of breaking the Sabbath they were so religious uh, religiously minded that they that they missed uh, who Jesus was and uh, so this was a constant undercurrent of criticism about Jesus and he had to live with that and all the time that they complained, Jesus continued to offer the gift of life. We saw at the beginning of John's Gospel, it's all about life. It's about Jesus coming to give us life. And, and this, the verse that I couldn't pass without mentioning it today is this verse in John, John chapter 5, verse 24, where Jesus said, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death unto life I love that has already passed from death unto life that's an amazing statement and that's an amazing promise so I couldn't pass that verse by because Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly and then we're going to look at these other two signs now just as a little sort of 
By the way, it's interesting that as we read through these verses and these chapters, and in fact right through John's Gospel, it seems that all the time there's little undercurrents about Moses. There's little there's little things to remember about Moses' time. Remember, it was in Moses' time they gave the law. It was in Moses' time that, that, the God, that God took them through the wilderness. So we're going to see little undercurrents of Moses as well. In fact, at the very end, before we launch into chapter 6, let's just look at the very end of chapter 5, where it says in verse 46 that Jesus said to them, If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote about me. And we can see that Moses did indeed write about him. And you can, you can look that up uh, in Deuteronomy. I think I have the reference further on in, uh, the, um, in the Word. can't just see where it is now, but I think, it's, I think it's Deuteronomy 18. But anyway, we'll see it in a moment. Let's just now launch into chapter 6 of John's Gospel. Let me read to you the first four verses. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of, of the Jews, was near. Now I think that's quite interesting that that little sentence is put in there. Why would they mention that the Passover was near? Well, I think it's quite interesting, and I've, I've written it in your notes. You see, as Jesus moved up the mountain, these crowds followed him but they were following him for all the wrong reasons they weren't following him because they loved him they were following him because they wanted to see some kind of a miracle or a sign they were looking for signs and wonders rather than looking for jesus and it's interesting that they mention about the passover because the passover was the time of the year when every jew remembered how god had taken them out of egypt with a passover lamb and how he had not only brought them and delivered them out of Egypt, but how he had brought them through the wilderness. And how in the wilderness he had provided manna for them. And I think that's a very interesting point to make. Because we're going to see now the God of the universe provide bread. Provide manna was, was some kind of, it wasn't actually bread. They, not, it was, it, well, they talked about the, the manna being like bread. It was, manna means, what is it? It was some kind of a strange thing they could eat. Some kind of substitute for bread. God miraculously took them through the wilderness and every day he provided manna. He provided food for them every day. And now we see Jesus in the New Testament. The same God of the universe of the Old Testament is now in a human body in the New Testament. And he's about to do the same thing. He's about to give them bread. He's about to give them supernatural bread. I just think it's amazing. I wrote in your notes, not only did God miraculously deliver them out of Egypt, but he in love fed them with daily manna as Moses led them through the wilderness. And so this is what, this is the backdrop. It was near Passover, near the time when they would be thinking about how God took them out and provided for all their needs. And, and it's almost like this is a backdrop to this miracle that Jesus is about to do. And it says that Jesus saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. I've given that wee reference because Mark chapter 6 gives us more information and kind of um, fills in bits that John hasn't, hasn't spoken about. And I just wanted to read to you just a couple of bits from Mark as a backdrop to Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw this great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach many things. 
When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away. Do you notice that Jesus had a heart of compassion? He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. But the disciples, they were a bit toughened up. They were like, send them away. We need to go and get something to eat for ourselves. Send that crowd away. Do you see the difference in the heart of his disciples and the heart of Jesus? Jesus wanted to feed them. And I think sometimes we're a bit like that. Make it easy for us, Lord, but they'll sort themselves out. Just see to me. Uh, but God wants us to be more like him. He wants us to be, have a heart that's more like Jesus. That We're actually thinking about other people. And so they're saying, send them away. That uh, send them away that they may go into the surrounding, surrounding country and villages and let them buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. So that's sort of the backdrop from Mark's account. Let's read uh, what, what John said. John said, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, You see Philip, the calculator going in the mind, he's counting it all up. And it says, Philip's answering, well, it would take 200 denarii worth of bread, and that wouldn't be even sufficient for them, so that everyone could have a little. And then it says that whilst, whilst um, uh, Philip was calculating, it's, and obviously Mark sheds more light on it, he said that Jesus has already said, find out. Up comes Andrew, and Andrew says, it, well, there's a little boy here. I found this lad, and he's got he's got five barley loaves and two small fish. But says Andrew, what's that among so many? And I thought that was quite an interesting place to stop for a moment because it seems to me that neither Philip or Andrew had actually much faith that Jesus could meet the need here. Do you know how often is it that we come into a crisis in life, and immediately the enemy comes in and says, God can't do that. God couldn't supply that. And you're starting to think rationally. How often do we think rationally about how, how, how could we do this? We, how, could we, how could we work this out? And all the time, Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he was testing Philip because he wanted Philip to have faith in him. And you know what, ladies? He wants us to have faith in him. And he doesn't want us to be calculating and having the head going round in circles trying to work this all out, how he's going to do our miracle. He wants us to have faith in him, to trust him, because he knows already what he's going to do. Isn't that a very comforting thought, that God knows already what he's going to do? And so um, he's, he's, he's speaking to these uh, guys and he's telling them, really he's, he's asking them, he's pleading with them to have faith. He's saying, have faith in me. That's basically what he's saying. And I'm reminded about how we're encouraged to have faith. And you know, Philippians 4 and 19 is one of my favorite verses. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Like that is something to live with every day because we have a God who provides for our need. We have a God who sees us with compassion 
As Jesus looked at the multitude, his heart was stirred with compassion. Last week we looked at how he, he spotted one man. He singled one man out of the pool of Bethesda last week. He singled out the one. This week he's looking at the multitude. He's a God full of compassion. And then we see in John 6, as we go further down, verse 10, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. We need to remember it was 5,000 men. It wasn't 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men plus women and children. So he made them sit down. Now, I, I don't know. I read this somewhere where he made them sit down and he made them, he made them, I'm just looking for the exact way that I wrote it because I, I really love the way I read this. Um, he made them sit down and he made them slow down. Now, I don't know about you, but did you ever come down in the morning to have your daily bread? And the first thing is get the Bible out. And it's like, we've got three minutes here. And it's like we're going through it and like, I've got to get to the end of this. I've got to get to the end of this. That's it, you're finished. Did you ever do like that? Did you ever get on like that? Sometimes I feel God saying to me, calm down. Just calm down and be still. And you know, we don't usually, sometimes we do hear him, he speaks to us in the rush. But usually he wants us to be still. I read something in, I think it's Pete Gregg's book about prayer. And he talks about stilling the house. There's something about stilling ourselves and and waiting to hear his voice. And that comes with practicing the art of stillness. It means shutting out all the other sounds and opening our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes to meet with the Saviour. And to hear what he wants to say to us. To hear the word that he wants to drop into us for this day. Not for next week necessarily, but for this moment. It's so important to still the house. He sat them down. He got them to sit down and he got them to be still. He got them into a place where they could receive. And you see, that's exactly what we need to understand. That God wants us to receive from him on a regular basis. I want to pop back over again to Mark because Mark tells us bits and pieces that he doesn't tell us in John. So let's just look at a a couple more things that it tells us here about John. It says in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 41, So he sat them down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And so they ate and were filled. It tells us in John, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. This provision was to fill 5,000 men, plus whoever else of the woman. If there was 5,000 men, my guess is there might have been another 5,000 women. Who knows? And if there was 5,000 women and 5,000 men, who knows how many children were running around? Uh, but there was a huge multitude. And you know, we, when we go to Israel and we, we go to the edge of the lake of Galilee and you look at the hills all around and the fields and you you can, well I don't know, I, I, I imagine them, I can see them. I can see them sitting all over the hillside and it's almost like an amphitheatre there. And just beside the lake, and you see where, the, he, there, where he's, 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 th- he's breaking the bread, he's giving thanks. Can you see Jesus taking what this little boy had 
This little boy gave all that he had. That's why we sang all for Jesus. He wasn't like sort of thinking, there's far too many of them, and if I give mine, I'll not get anything. He wasn't in behind the back shed, like trying to stuff it in before anybody could see it. He gave, he took it out, he brought it, he gave it to Jesus. And do you know it's amazing what God can do when we give him what we've got? Even if it's our trouble. He can do wonderful things with our trouble, as well as with the good things we, we think we have. God wants us to give him all that we have, all that we are. So this young lad comes and he gives all that he has, the, the five loaves and the two fish. And it says that everyone was filled. It's interesting, that word filled in the Greek, it's actually the word is glutted. I guess that's where we get the word gluttony, isn't it? Where we're filled, ever eats that much, you're thinking, I am stuffed. Well, they were, I tell you, God's provision is not just to kind of take the edge off your hunger. God wants to fill you to capacity. And you know, this is a physical, this was, this was physical food. But God wants to fill you with spiritual food. God wants to give you your daily bread and he wants to stuff you. <laughs> he wants you to be glutton. He wants you to be so full of him that it's like, Lord, you're taking me through this day. And Lord, you're with me and you are real. And I am eating your word. I am eating all that you give me because he is the bread of life. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that very shortly. And of course, there was able. There was actually 12 baskets. The disciples gathered up all the fragments and there was 12 baskets full. One basket for every disciple. The disciples, for all their trouble of actually doing the work to get the stuff distributed, they got the extra bonus. They got a basket full each. I tell you, we don't do anything for God, but he doesn't come and reward us and give us more than we would imagine. And you know, the more we give out of his word and the more we, we help others and speak into lives, do you know what? God gives us all the more. He gives us the baskets. He gives us more than we deserve. He's a God who is generous. He's a God like this little boy. This little boy gave his, his lunch. But Jesus gave his life. He gave his all for you and for me. He's a God who is not stingy. He's a God who gives us the best. He's a God who gives us his all. We have a generous God. And I've written in your notes, this small boy reflected the heart of God because he gave all that he had to Jesus. And in turn, he experienced multiplied blessings. I tell you, God wants to multiply the blessings in your life. We're also encouraged, I've just written in your notes, we're, we're encouraged to present ourselves to God and to give all that we have to God. And Romans 12 talks about that, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice. It would give them all that we have so that we, we might prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. I tell you, God's not a bad God. God's a good God. And his plans are good and perfect and acceptable and we can trust him. And when we give all that we have to God, he can do more than what we would ever imagine. And I just have to stick in Ephesians 3. You know that, those, that verse about how you know, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything that we could ask or think. Lift your eyes up and see a God who loves you and wants to fill you with his love and wants you to know his generosity in every department of your life. And then I just had to put this in, John 6, we're sort of shooting a little bit forward to get this, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Let's just look forward for a moment. John 6, verses 32. I wanted to read a couple of verses before it. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Do you see where Moses is coming in again? Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, 
But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out. Isn't it amazing that Jesus stands up in the middle of all of this and he's just given out all this bread to feed the hungry. He has fed a multitude and then he speaks out and he says, I am the true bread. I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven. He, you see, as he, and, and I just, I had to write this down. I'm going to read it just the way I had written it because I said, as Jesus broke the bread and fed the multitude, I'm thinking his mind went back to the miracle of the manna in the Old Testament when Israel had been supernaturally fed for the 40 years. Psalm, uh, Psalm 78, I, hadn't, I meant to write this down actually and I didn't, so I'm going to have to very quickly look it up because it's a very short verse, but I want just to read it to you. Psalm 78, we're nearly there. I've only got one hand, so I can only do so much. Psalm 78, verse 24, and it says... Um, um, let me see we'll go back a little bit to verse 22 because he did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven had rained down manna on them to eat and given them the bread of heaven men ate angels food he sent them food to the foe isn't that amazing, the Old Testament? And I'm thinking as Jesus performed, as he, as he took this bread that the little boy had brought, and as he broke it, and as he blessed it and prayed over it, about to do this miracle, I'm thinking that his mind went back to the wilderness. I'm thinking that he's remembering how, how God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness every day, not just once in a while. Like it wasn't like one or two times a week. It was every single day. For 40 years, he took them through the wilderness. He can take you through, and he can take me through. And you know what? He will be faithful every day. You're not going to get fed one day. And you, he will be faithful to give you food, spiritual food, every day. I had written down in your notes that very soon, Jesus was going to declare to the world that he was the bread of life. We've just read it the true manna who came down from, hell, from heaven. But on this particular occasion, as he broke the bread, here's what I think. Now, I, who am I to say what Jesus was thinking? But I have this wee notion. <laughs> as he broke the bread to give to the multitude, I have this sense in my spirit that he was thinking ahead of time when his body would be broken for you and for me. Remember before he went to the cross, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You see, Jesus loves you enough to give himself, his all, everything. He doesn't hold back any barriers from you. He wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants you to know that he will provide everything that you need as you go through life. And so that's the first part of it. He's a provider. And then, of course, it says in John 6 that the people uh, began to realise that, you know, this is a man, he's doing these miracles. So they began to 
who believed in him and began to uh, try and make him king. They began to think, oh, maybe this is the Messiah after all. So they were trying to make him king. Let's just uh, read the verses from John chapter 6, verse um, Verse 14, it says, Then those men, when he had, when they had seen the signs that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So they're now believing he's the prophet, and they're now about, and it's Deuteronomy 18 and 15, that, that Moses had written about a prophet who would come, who would be the Messiah, and they're now thinking, Oh, Deuteronomy, maybe this is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy. And now they're trying to force him to be the king, to make him king. And you see, Jesus doesn't want that. And it says in verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Mark's gospel says that he departed to the mountain to pray. I want you to keep that in your mind, that Jesus is going up the mountain. And before he went up the mountain, uh, Mark's gospel also tells us that he not only went up to pray, but before he went up the mountain, that he put the disciples into the boat. It says in, in Mark 6, verse 45... Immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, we're kind of hopping back and forth from Mark 6 to John 6, but I want you to try and get this, this picture because he sent the disciples away and it says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. I wanted to really, um, I wanted to really just get this picture before our minds. Jesus has, the people are trying to force their agenda on him. Who knows that, that, that God does not go by what we want? We need to come into line with him. He's not going to come into line with what we're praying for. He knows what he's going to do. The plan for the, the, the secret of answered prayer is to come into agreement with him. And, and so uh, he's not going to go their way. And so he, he separates himself, puts the disciples into a boat and actually sends them out into a storm. And meanwhile, he goes up onto the mountain to pray, and he's going to pray up there. And I believe as he was on the mountain and he could look, you can see Galilee, it's a small lake. It's about, I think if I remember right, it's maybe 68 miles wide, and I think it's 13 miles long. And so it's not that big, and the, the, there's like mountains, hills all around it. So uh, from the mountain position, he could look down and he could see on the lake, and he could see that the storm had come. Galilee is very renowned for whipping up a storm very quickly. Uh, and so this, this storm came, and the disciples were struggling in the boat. And, uh, and, and it was very interesting that Jesus was praying for them whilst they were in the storm. Now, I, I just believe that God has uh, a sense of humour as well, because we had a storm last night, this Brendan thing. And I have to tell you a story because... Uh, you see, we have um, a bit of damp coming into one of our walls in the house, and where my brothers came down before Christmas, and they reckoned it's coming through because of the problem with the chimney. So they decided that they would wrap the chimney all up to keep the damp out, and would, would prove one way or the other whether that's the problem. So before Christmas, they wrapped my chimney up. We came home from Fort Aventura to see the chimney all wrapped up uh, like, a, like a Christmas box. <laughs> And uh, so it's all wrapped up, and, and so we're not allowed to light a fire and all. So anyway, the storm came yesterday, 
And of course, the next thing, Sunday night, we could see this thing had come off. <laughs> so yesterday, my brother phoned and he says, tell you what, uh, Jane had discovered that, that if she opened her window, she's one of those windows, you know those ones in the, in the roof, uh, that it's just beside the chimney. So she was able to catch it. And she pulled it into the room. So my brother says, if you can, if you can catch it, then throw it down, <laughs> throw it down the side of the house and, and put a big, big brick. <laughs> so anyway, we managed to get, we managed to catch it. So we're busy. Jane, tie the shoe on. <laughs> and we're taking the shoe and we're firing the shoe out the window. <laughs> Get down <laughs> so we, we did that, but then actually we realised that it, it had broken off with the shoe and all. So we got this. We got. To, we thought we'll have to go back up and do it better. So we got back up into the, into the bedroom again, and I says, "Right, we'll, we'll wrap. You know, um, uh, what do you call that stuff? Sticky tape. What do you call it? I duct duct tape. We thought we'll, we'll wrap the duct tape around it, and it'll stop the cellophane breaking. You see. So we had to then catch it again because it was flying around the wind. So. I says, right, Jane, I think if, I, if you could help me to get right up through the window. <laughs> so I'm hanging through the window, and she's holding on to me from the back. And, and I'm saying, right, come to Mama. <laughs> so this thing's flapping and it's flapping. And sure enough, it just flapped right into my hand. And I pulled it in. It was like pulling the, it was like pulling the dove in out from the end from the into the ark. So we pulled it in and we, we got the thing tied up again and Jane went down and I fired the shoe out and we pulled it straight down the side of the house and we got a huge big big load of bricks and we tied the bricks all up and we tied it onto the bricks. And you know it's caught down the side of the house and it hasn't moved from yesterday. <laughs> And you know why I'm telling you that story? Because sometimes in the storm, we are all over the place. We are all over the place. And we need to let Jesus catch us. And we need to be grounded. And we need to let the rock, Jesus Christ is the rock. And we need to let him stabilize us and anchor us so that we are still, that we can be still in the storm. And that's what I believe God wants to say to us today. There is a place of stillness to talk about the eye of the storm. And I believe that God wants us to experience that. And you know what? We'll never experience it if we just sail through life. And I don't know very many people who do sail through life uh, with, you know, what are they talking about in beds of ease? I think we've all got our troubles. We've all got our storms. But God wants us to know. And he wants to teach us. And he wants to equip us. And so these guys, they're in the middle of the storm. And they're rolling like mad in this wee boat. And it says, let's read on the story. Here's what it says. I'm all disorganised now. I'll have to get myself home back in again. Okay, we'll we'll read it from Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. It says, Then he saw them straining, verse 48, at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they... All saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marvelled. 
for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So that's what it says in Mark's gospel. Let's just look at the end of the account in John chapter 6, where it says that, uh, verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Okay, so here's what I feel God wants to say uh, to us this morning through this storm. These disciples were doing the best they could. They were rowing like crazy in this wee boat. And no doubt the waves, it was scary. And Jesus still hadn't come to them. And you see, the people had tried to make Jesus king. They tried to force him to be king. But here he comes walking on the water. And if ever there's a picture of a majestic king who doesn't only rule the world, but rules the earth and the sky and the seas and the storm, the one who ruled the storm walked on top of the storm. And can you see it? You know, every year we go to Israel, we, the first thing we do in the, mor- the morning we arrive, the first thing we do is go out onto Galilee. And that's just the most amazing time. And, and it's, it's a time of worship and celebration. And it's a time when we come back off the boat. If every, do you know, one of the, not the main reason, though, I wouldn't do anything as you know, clever as this. But it's not the main reason, but one of the reasons that it's lovely to do it. You see, after people have travelled a long journey, and then they've travelled, you know, got off the boat in Tel Aviv at nine o'clock, and then have to drive down, Polly knows this, have to drive down to Galilee then another hour and a half or maybe two hours to get down to Galilee. People are tired and they can be a bit grumpy. And they're kind of like, the first time we went, like people were like, what's this all going? We're exhausted. And they don't want to get up the next morning. But you see, whenever they go on to Galilee, we usually have 10 o'clock the next morning. You see, when they come off that boat, you couldn't put a foot wrong. People meet with Jesus the minute we get on that boat in that lake. Honestly, it's the, most, it's the most incredible experience. But not only that, we do it the first thing we arrive, but we also go on the lake last thing before we leave. The night before we leave Galilee, we go out in the dark at night time. And we go out in the dark at night time because we love to remember that Jesus came walking on the water when it was dark. And I can see it every time we do this. I can see Jesus in my imagination. I can see him walking with majesty on top of the waves. What waves are scaring you, are frightening you? What waves are trying to overwhelm you at the moment? Jesus is walking on top of those waves. He is already conqueror. He is already the deliverer. He is already the one who knows exactly what he's going to do. And he loves you. And he is committed to you. And he wants you to know it's him. It is I, he said to the disciples. They were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's really me. Oh, today, if you could only catch just the face of Jesus. And have that encounter and know it's him. He's here. He's with you. He knows exactly what's going on in your boat. He knows exactly what's going on in your life that can be so scary at times. And he wants you to know he's coming to you. And he comes. Interesting, he came, it says, at the fourth hour of the night. See, the Romans had divided the night up into different shifts for their armies. And the fourth hour was 3 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It was kind of the last stint It was like the last moment. How often is it that it seems that our faith is stretched and it's almost like the last watch that Jesus comes. But I'll tell you, he mightn't come when you expect him, but I can tell you, he will come. 
He will come walking to you on top of that situation. And so he comes, and he comes to the boat, and he says, don't be afraid. It's very, very interesting that it says at the moment that he arrived there, and they invited him into the boat, that immediately they were going to be where they needed to be. But before we, before we finish today, I just have to say, John's Gospel doesn't tell us about Peter. John's Gospel doesn't tell us that Peter got out of the boat. But Mark's Gospel does, or is it Matthew? Maybe it's Matthew. I think both maybe uh, tell us um, about Jesus, uh, about, uh, about Peter getting out of the boat. And I'm going to read to you just, um, I think it's also in Mark, isn't it? I just want to, uh, maybe it's not. No, it's not actually, it's, Mark, it's Matthew. So Matthew tells us that Jesus got out of the boat. I wanted just to remind you that Jesus had been praying for these disciples before he came to them in the boat. And I want to remind you that Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 7 says in verse 25 that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. I just feel I have to say that to you. I have to, I have to let you know. I have to remind you that if he hasn't come to do the miracle just yet, you need to know he's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He's standing between you and that situation. He is in control and you can put everything into his hands and he will come he will come walking to you. And so we see that he comes to the boat. Matthew 14 tells us where he came. Be of good cheer, I. And then it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the winds was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Do you know that sometimes when we go through difficult things and we don't understand why it's so hard or why it's not being sorted right away or what's going on, Sometimes we need to know that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And at the end of this story, everybody in that boat worshipped Jesus. We're not told that anywhere else in the Gospels, that they actually worshipped him. We're told that they were intrigued or whatever, but they worshipped him. The miracle brought forth worship. The feeding of the 5,000 was the fourth sign or miracle in John's Gospel. This one of Jesus walking on top of the water was the fifth one. And I tell you, five stands for grace. And this is a story of Jesus coming in love and grace to rescue his disciples. And he does the same for us. He proves his love for us every day. Can you imagine Peter? And we can say what we like about Peter, but it's the only one got out of the boat. And you know that book, somebody, John Ortberg or somebody wrote, if you want to walk in the water, you've got to get out of the boat. Isn't that right? And so often, I tell you, we would rather put our feet up and stay in the boat. Even though there's a storm, it's kind of safer to be in there than actually step out. But sometimes I believe it pleases God's heart. When we say in the midst of our storm, we say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to step out of the boat and I'm going to trust you. And you know, I think that pleases the heart of God. When we just step out and say, 
here I am. I trust you in the storm. And we can see ourselves, and Jesus catches us every time. He's not going to let you sink. He will not let you go under. And so Jesus comes to them in the water. I wrote in your notes, even though Peter faltered when he saw the waves, he is still accredited for being the only one who was willing to get out of the boat. Then all the disciples worshipped Jesus and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. And as soon as Jesus got into the boat, immediately they were at their destination. You know what struck me as I was preparing my heart for this today? What really struck me was that we've talked about the provision of God, how he meets our need. He will always supply your need. He will always give you what you need. We've talked about his prayers, how he prays for you and he prays for me. And you know, when Jesus prays for you, he knows exactly how to pray because he knows the thoughts that are going on in your mind and he knows every situation, even the things you don't know, he knows. So he can pray for you in a way that nobody else can pray. And we can all pray for each other. But we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is praying in a way that we can pray because he knows all the factors. He sits in the throne of heaven and he sees the big picture and he knows how he's, he knows how to pray for you. So we have a God who provides for us and we have a God who prays for us. But here's the thing. We have a God who comes to us, who is present with us. There is nothing in this life like experiencing God's presence. Now, Hebrews 13 tells us that Jesus has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. Now that's a promise and it's actually, I don't know how many negatives it is. I will never, no, never, no, never. I think it's three or four negatives. I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never forsake you. Never leave you or forsake you. That is a promise and we need to know that. And the times that you don't feel the presence of God, you need to start talking to yourself. And you need to remind yourself that he's there. He's right with you. And if there's something that's crept between you and him, if you haven't been, if you've been sort of out of step, if you have stopped believing or you've been grumpy or you're not forgiving someone, if there's something that's hindering us, that joy and sense of his presence, then confess it and get rid of it. But we, it's our right, I believe, as believers. Listen, it is your right to experience his presence. And sometimes when we don't feel him there, that's when he's all the closer. And so he's a God who comes to us. He's a God whose presence is with us at all times. The thing is this, sometimes we feel his presence more than others. Isn't that the truth? And sometimes he comes to us in the least expected situations. I wrote at the end of your notes, our God has given his all to provide salvation for us. And he continues to pray for us at all times. But not only that, he continues to come to us in special ways to reveal himself in our hour of need. I'll tell you, when we cry out to God in a particular situation and we cry our need out, it's amazing how he comes and reveals himself. It's amazing how he answers, but he does. He answers us. He comes to us in all kinds of strange ways. These disciples would never have imagined they'd have come walking on top of the water, but he did. And here's the thing. He comes in special ways to reveal himself in our hour of need and to take us to our 
destination. Jesus knows the destiny that he has over your life. He knows exactly where he's taking you. He knows exactly how he's going to use your life for his glory. That's always his plan. Our chief end is to enjoy God, is to, is to what is it, love God and enjoy him forever. Is that right? Glorify him forever. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the right way of it. And so he wants to take us to our destination. He wants to take us to our destiny. But here's what I felt the Lord gave me, and I just felt he spoke this into my heart this morning before I left the house. Whenever we are in the presence of God, and we're, we, we know his presence is with us, we need to know that at that moment, we are exactly where we are meant to be. Wherever Jesus is, that's enough. That's what he wants us to enjoy, his presence. Whether things are rosy or things aren't, things aren't rosy, his presence. The Bible says his presence makes the feast. Having the presence of Jesus in your life changes everything. We can be grumpy and disgruntled and, you know, for a couple of days there I said to Jane, I don't know what's wrong with me because I feel I'm all irritated and I feel like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I cried out and I said, God, I don't know why I feel so all turned up and I feel like I'm not far away from you and I just cried out and said Lord I'm sorry whatever if there's anything wash me clean please get rid of whatever that is and you know we did I just felt just it wasn't immediate but it was just like over an hour or two I just felt his presence and a sense of it again he wants us to enjoy his presence he wants us to enjoy him in everything that we do and so we're going to celebrate today this God who comes to us walking on the waters, this God who is with us in the storm, this God who provides for us, this God who prays for us, and this God whose presence is always with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When the disciples saw him in the boat, it says they got him into the boat, and it says immediately they were at the land. Immediately. I'll tell you, immediately you sense his presence. Immediately you remember and you start to tell yourself, he's with me, he's here. Immediately you sense his presence. Immediately you, you claim his presence in your life. Immediately you are where you're meant to be. You're at land. You're docked. You've, you're anchored. You're like that. You're like that chimney thing. It's been all over the place. But you're anchored and you're tied to the rock, Christ Jesus. And he's the God who wants you to experience the steadiness and the stillness and the joy and the hope of all his plans and all, all that his presence gives us. Because in his presence, the Bible says, Psalm 16 tells us that God will show us the path of life. That in his presence is fullness of joy. Let's experience that fullness of joy as we claim his presence because he's promised never to leave us or to forsake us. I would love you to stand and we're going to sing this song. It's maybe a song that you don't know. A lot of you might not know the words, but that's okay. You don't have to sing them if you don't know the tune. Just listen to the words. But I believe that this, I have to tell you this, um, when we went out in, on Galilee, a few times we have sung this song out in the boat at night time in the dark on Galilee. And there's something about this song about trusting Jesus uh, as we are experiencing a storm in our lives and how God loves us so much that he comes to us. So, oh, you put the music on, Jane, and we will stand.
together and we're going to sing this song. Just as you stand up, there's a moment or two where there's just soft music before the words come. But I just want to say to you that God this morning, I believe, is calling you out upon the waters. I believe that he wants you to know that he is the God of the great unknown. The God who comes to you in your moment of need. Let's just sing this together. You call me out upon the waters. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that in your presence there is peace. We thank you that in your presence, Lord, there is everything that we need. We thank you, Lord, that when you are with us, we do not have to fear. Thank you, Lord, that you are walking and meeting with us this morning. I believe, Lord, that you want to, you want to speak into our hearts in a fresh way this morning, a fresh encounter. Lord, come and still our storms. Come and take us, Lord, to our destination. Thank you that when you got into the boat immediately, it says immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Help us, Lord, to know that we're at the land because you're with us, because your presence is with us in the boat. Lord, we love you and we pray this morning, Lord, that you will minister. Even in these next closing moments, Lord, we pray that you will continue to minister into all our hearts in fresh and new and beautiful ways. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God who goes with us. Thank you, you're the God who provides for our every need. Thank you that you're the God who prays for us and you're the God whose presence is with us always. We thank and praise you, Lord, for who you are. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name.